The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would please, and open them to Matthew chapter 18. I know that there are some of you that, maybe some of you, that think that there is not enough balance in the preaching here at Berean between preaching on things like the judgment of God and the love of God. Now, last week I spoke about the judgment of God in the Easter sermon, and the Bible, of course, does speak of the love of God. We're here because Christ loves us and he gave his life to die for us. And we ought not to think that the concepts of love and judgment are two opposing things in Scripture because they're not. In Revelation chapter 22, which we're going to read next week, and I thought it would be more appropriate to read this verse now than to relate this to my message this morning next week. But there it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoso loveth and maketh a lie. Now, as the children of God, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. In this life, we're delivered from the penalty of sin. And when we get to heaven, we shall be delivered from the presence of sin. And so it is an act of God's love to bring judgment on people that are against Jesus Christ because there is none of us here that would want to spend all of eternity still in the presence of sin. And when God judges people, that's an act of his love for those that he has redeemed. If he didn't judge them, then heaven would be filled with people that are unredeemed and still haters of God, and that simply cannot be. Now, I've said that this morning just to tell you that if you're worried about balance in the messages... Well, today I am going to speak to you about the love of God, and so you're going to get to see another side of this. So you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, and today as we return to this chapter, I I hope that you remember what was said in the previous message a couple of weeks ago. And there we learn that Jesus in this chapter begins by teaching his disciples about his kingdom and what it takes to be in his kingdom. This passage is paralleled in both Mark 9 and in Luke 9. And there we learn that the disciples had a dispute between them, that they were arguing amongst themselves, wondering who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus deflected that question in the beginning of this chapter, and he told them that rather than, or his first expression of how to answer that question was to tell them, rather than to be so concerned about, about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, the thing to be concerned about is, are you actually in the kingdom of heaven? And he said that for a person to be in the kingdom of heaven, he must be converted. He must be changed from what he is. And these disciples, arguing over position and prestige, demonstrated that they had not had a change of heart that you must have before you can enter into the kingdom of God. Before you can enter into God's kingdom, you must be humbled, you must become as a little child, the Word of God says here, and you realize that the only reason that you are in the kingdom of God is because of God's mercy and His grace. And so to illustrate that, Jesus called a little child over 
And he set him in the midst of these disciples, and he said that in order for you to be in the kingdom, you must become as this little child. And he meant that you must be humble. You must be unpretentious as an infant. You must be as trusting and dependent as a little child. Now, we're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter again today and start at verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 10. If you stand with me for the reading of God's Word once again. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse number 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoso therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. We just pray that you'd open up your word to us. Help us to better understand the teachings of Jesus in this passage. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at this passage this morning, we really have to be touched by the tenderness of Jesus as he taught his disciples. Now, we do find in the passage that there are some very stern words that are spoken and actually some frightening words, frightening for those who would dare harm one of God's little children. But we're still struck by the compassion that we see in the passage for for those that Jesus had called to be his disciples. Now, for sure, as he teaches them about becoming his little children, they were not young men. They were not teenagers. They certainly were not children. They were probably about the age of Jesus, which would have been around 30 years old and 33 years old as he was teaching in this passage. And these were not, as I said, children, but they were strong men. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were weather-beaten outdoorsmen. They were partners in a fishing business. Matthew was a hardened tax collector, and no doubt he was used to the often hated treatment that he received because of his position as a tax collector of the Roman taxes. There was a disciple named Simon Zelotes, or as we would say, the Zealot, and he was a part of a radical anti-government party. Most of us today would call him a terrorist, that is, before he was saved. So these men were not children, and they weren't people that were disposed to act meekly or to be humbled very easily. And this is why Jesus said they must be converted, that their hearts must be changed because God's kingdom is made up of children 
those that have been born again into the family of God. Now, I'd like for us to consider that thought today, that we are children, that God considers us as his dear children. And that's a common designation that we find throughout Scripture. Uh, God calls us his children. He is our father. He is the loving father who treats us, who are believers in him, as his dear children. Now, we're going to take two Sunday mornings to study this text. Today, we'll look at the positive aspect of it, and then next week, we'll look at the negative. Now, all of it's actually positive for the child of God, but it is there's a negative part of this for anyone who would dare harm one who is God's little child. Now, next week, then, we'll talk about the negative part of the text. But for, de- for today, I want to, to begin by considering that God cares for his children. Something that we learn from the passage, that God has care for his children. Most of you are familiar with my testimony. I've told you uh, two or three times, maybe more than that, over the past ten years about my testimony, that I was raised in a Christian home, that my father was saved before I was born. And when I was born, uh, he was in training to become a pastor so that the first public place that I was ever taken was to the church. My mother still has the certificate of when I was enrolled into the nursery, into the cradle roll. That's what they called it then. I was on the cradle roll of the South Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. I grew up in church. I have never been outside of the church. There's never been a time in my life when I have not been in church. My parents never had other things to do on Sundays or Wednesdays. I mean, this is something that we automatically did. Every week we went to church, and so church has always been my life. Nothing substituted for the church, not in our household. There were no excuses for not going to church. We were always there. At the age of seven, God saved me. Our church was arranged somewhat differently than what we have here, and I remember on one Sunday morning that I was sitting on this side of the platform, and my dad was preaching the gospel of Christ, And I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, and there, uh, during the service, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and then I came and told my dad afterwards that I had believed. Now, all of my life, I've been in church. My training has been in the church. I listened and I studied God's Word throughout the years that I was growing up. I met my wife in the church. Our courtship was kind of a strange one. I watched her in the church. I was kind of a stalker. I was, I was watching her. And, and I, really, I really liked her, but I'd never really talked to her before. I just kept watching her, kept stalking her. And, and uh, one Sunday morning, I caught her in the basement, and I pulled her, the basement of the church, and I pulled her into one of the Sunday school rooms. And there in my suave, romantic eloquence, my first words, I think, that I said to her were something like this. Do you want to go steady? Now, I know that Young people don't use those same terms today, but that's what I said to her. And what I was willing to do at that moment, I was just willing to hang it all out there, taking a chance that my heart would get stepped on. And she felt sorry for me, and so she answered yes. And four years later, we were married. We now have, we've been blessed to have three children and six grandchildren. And my point in telling you this is really to come to this part, that I was raised in church and I knew a lot about the Bible. I studied the Bible all the time. I knew a lot about the Bible. I taught in the church. After my wife and I were married, we stayed in the church. 
we, we, we stayed there and I kept studying, I kept teaching, and I thought that I really had a good handle on what it meant to be a child of God. But you know what really changed me and just totally impacted me in a new way about God's love for me? It was when our first child was born. I never had the feeling or the sense of what it meant to be God's child like I did when I learned to love my own child. I remember pulling into the parking lot of the church one day and I was riding in with my dad and with tears in my eyes, I was overwhelmed with this new realization that I had that God loved me as his child and that God was loved me so much that he was willing to give his son to die for me. Now, as I said, I, I was a Christian. I, I'd grown up in church. I, I knew the Lord as my Savior, but I did not have this full sense, I thought, of what it meant to really be God's child. And I think that you as parents, many of you, you can identify with this. You love your children. And you know the love that God has put into your heart for your children is modeled after the Heavenly Father's love of you. We could never love as much as God loves because his love is perfect. There is no hypocrisy in his love. There is no deficiency in his love. And if you could take every ounce of love that you have for your children, if you could squeeze every bit of love that there is in you out of you, you could multiply it a thousand times over, a million times over, and it would not reach the love that God has for his children. Now, I want you to think about that as we consider this subject today, how much you care for your children. Think about how much you want your children to have everything that is best for them. And then I want you to think about God, about how God loves you, and how he has a love that's bigger than the universe, and he wants you to have his very best. And I'm not talking here about the Joel Osteen best. I'm speaking about the rewards of heaven. That God leads you into paths of righteousness and in holiness so that you might receive his very best. That God is concerned about you, that you would be sanctified, and that Christ would rule your life so that God can give you his very best. Now, the general application of this passage is to understand that we are God's children and that God cares for us. Now, there are many passages of Scripture that we could go to to speak of God's care for his children. I think about the Old Testament, and I think of Israel, how that God brought them out of Egypt. It seems like they never stopped complaining against God. There was always something going wrong, and God had to discipline them often, but God never stopped loving them. He never stopped taking care of them. He fed them in the wilderness. He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them water from the rock. Through 40 years of wandering in the desert and terrible unfaithfulness, God was still faithful to them, and God was faithful to that promise that he had given that he would bring them into the land of Canaan. And when they finally reached that place, I'm not sure that they thought too much about this, but God reminded them that all of that time that they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, that the clothes on their backs had never worn out, that the shoes that were on their feet never got holes in them. And God did that because he loved them, because he was taking care of them. In Isaiah 43, we find a great place to read about God's love and his care for his children. I'd like you to turn there, if you would, for just a moment, and we can see here God's care for Israel. Israel represents all that have faith in God, that are God's children, and God loves them. And so if you've ever wondered where God is in the rough times, 
When you say, where, where is God when things are going wrong? You've ever, ever wondered about that? Well, here is a real good place for you to go to understand more about God's love. Isaiah chapter 43, and verse number 1 says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight... Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. And then we go into the New Testament and we can find many passages there as well that speak of the blessed privilege that we have of being God's children. I love passages like Hebrews chapter 13 where the writer says, let your conversation or let your manner of life be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. And I could go on and we could find many, many passages in both Old and New Testaments that speak of the love that God has for his children. Now, in the next verses of Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14, that's still the theme. And we'll come back to this, how that God loves us as his dear children. Well, then I think of another positive aspect of the relationship that we have with God that's brought out in this passage, and that is that God protects his people. That God is always looking out for us. Uh, Is there a parent in the room that would not do everything in your power to protect your child? No, it's a very serious thing if you would dare to harm one of my children. It used to be that we didn't worry too much about our children, uh, too much about harm would come to them. I remember when I was about six or seven years old, which is a long, long time ago, but I remember then that my parents were really not too concerned about letting me out of the house that people might harm me. I'd get on my bicycle and I would ride all over the neighborhood and I would ride to the school, I would ride to the store, sometimes even riding my bicycle miles away from home because we really didn't have too much care or concern that someone would hurt hurt us Uh, because our neighborhoods were safe in that time. But neighborhoods are not safe today. I just learned a a couple of weeks ago that our neighbors on this side of the building over here have been robbed three times in the past few months. They told me that their 11-year-old son was afraid to sleep in his room alone at night. So we know that there are are lots of people out there that would want to harm our children, and we try to protect them the best that we can, but we're not always able to protect them. And a a parent's worst nightmare is that someone would come and harm one of your children. Well, God is a protective parent, except that he has the power, and he has the will, and he has the determination to protect us always. 
psalmist said in Psalm 105, he suffered no man to do them wrong, yea, he reproved kings for their sake, speaking of his children, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. In Zechariah 2, verse 8, God says there that if you touch one of mine, it's like touching the apple of my eye. And what he means is that my children are so precious to me that when you touch one of my children, you are touching the most sensitive part of me. And so you had better watch out what you do with God's children. And I'm sure all of you remember how that God protected Noah. Noah and his family were the only righteous people that were on the earth. And if you want to know what that means, that means that Noah and his family, at the time that he lived, were the only people in all of the world that were actually God's children. All the rest of the world was evil. None of them were God's children. And if you are not God's child, you don't get protection. So God sent a flood to destroy the world. But where was Noah? God said to him, Noah, take your family into the ark. And Noah and his family went into the ark, and God shut the door, and God sealed Noah in so that no harm could come to him. And did you know that the ark is actually a picture of the safety that we have in Jesus Christ? That when you are saved, you enter into Christ, that he is your ark of safety. The apostle John wrote, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And so we are protected in Christ. God loves his children. He will not let any harm come to their souls. Now we know that in this life we have many problems. We know that there are Christians that have died for the cause of Christ. We see it in the Bible. We see it throughout history. And even in the world today, there are times when people that are followers of Christ have lost their lives because of their belief. Jesus said that we could expect that kind of persecution and the suffering and the troubles, the trials, tribulations that would come because of our faith in him. In the 10th chapter of Matthew, he told the disciples that their lives were in danger just like his life was in danger. In the 16th chapter, Jesus let them know that there were some of them that would die on a cross. Tradition tells us that the apostle Peter was crucified on a cross upside down. All of the disciples of Jesus died as martyrs except the Apostle John, and it's most likely that he was boiled in oil before he was sent to the Isle of Patmos, and there he received the revelation of God. James, who was the Lord's brother, was killed in the infancy of the church. Not long after Jesus was crucified himself, they took James. Herod took James, and he beheaded him. But every one of these disciples died courageously because they knew that God held their souls in his hands. In Isaiah, the word of God tells us there that we are graven into the palms of his hands. Jesus said that we are in his hands. We have beautiful imagery in the Gospel of John chapter 10 in which Jesus said, 
And I give unto them, he's speaking of his children, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now the picture that Jesus gives there is that he holds us. He, he has us in his hand, and then the Heavenly Father comes and he clasps his hands over the hands of Jesus. And you're being held right there in the center of his hands so that if someone could harm you, if the devil could come and steal your soul, that what he would have to do is pry off the hands of the Heavenly Father. Then he would have to pry off the hands of Jesus in order to get to you. And friends, that's not going to happen. It can't happen. We are protected by the Almighty God. And so our salvation, when we place our faith in him, it's safe and secure forever. I know that you're familiar with what Paul wrote in Romans. He said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul also wrote in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And you may say, well, that's a lot of Scripture that you're giving us today. Well, there is a lot of Scripture on this because God has a lot to say about his children. God has a lot to say about how he loves them and protects them. And as you are proud of your children and you love them, you don't even know a thousandth of the way that God loves his children and protects him, them. I mean, do you think that God would give his son to die for those that he intends to give up? As you know, I'm not prone to quirky, sentimental sayings, but when Satan comes after God's children, God says, don't touch my kids. Don't dare touch my kids. Satan will try to steal your soul, but God will not let him. Now, do your kids ever disobey you? Did they ever do that? Did they ever come home sometimes bruised and scraped because of some of the things that they've gotten into? You know, God's children don't always obey him either. Many times, God's children get mixed up with the devil and his crowd, but God's children come home. God makes them come home because he's not going to let anyone kidnap his children. And in the next section, we'll see how that's true because there Christ is shown to be the great shepherd, the one who goes after the one lost sheep. And do you know why all of that is true? Do you know why there's so much scripture about the protection of God upon his people? It's because we are his children. God loves his children, and he has the power to keep us from harm. He protects us. As Jude says, he's able to keep us from falling. And so Jesus was very serious when he began to teach his disciples about his children that are in his kingdom. Now, there's much to say on the subject. There are many scriptures to give you on God's protection, about God's guarantee of eternal salvation. Several years ago, I preached seven sermons in a row on God's perseverance and preservation of his children. So we can just sum up this part and say that once you are a child of God, you are always a child of God. But make sure that you pay attention to verse number four 
And that is you must be converted first before you are God's child. Now notice verse number 5 again. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now thirdly, I'd like to talk to you about that God blesses those that benefit us. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now there is a verse that shows how close that we are to God. Do you see how close that we are? We're inseparable. You cannot divide God from his children. We are so close to him that Jesus said, whoever receives my child receives me. And what you do to my child, you do to me. And we notice that the rest of this is all negative. If you keep reading that, it's all negative. And we're going to get to that part next time. But the positive side of it is that there is a blessing for helping God's children. You know what I love? I love people that love my children. I like it when people want to help my children. You want to get on my good side? Give Lauren $100. We split everything 50-50. Give her $100. You know, I like it when somebody says, you know, Lauren is such a beautiful girl. And they say, she sure does get it from her mother. And I'm much more happy when they say, she sure does get that from her dad. But wouldn't it be great if people said, people said this about Jesus because of you? Wouldn't it be great if someone said, you are such a beautiful, kind, compassionate, loving person. I know that you must get that from Jesus. The way that you act, you speak so well of your heavenly Father. Amy Grant wrote a song a few years ago when she said, I've got my Father's eyes. We are so close to God. Jesus is so close to us that we are actually melded together as one. So that when someone does something good for you and you are God's child, it is the same as if they had done it for Jesus. Now he said almost the identical same statement in the 10th chapter. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now do you see what Jesus says? He's speaking of rewards. He will reward anyone who does the smallest thing for his children that he has his eye on the least significant activities of all of his children. Now, I'd like to read another scripture. If you turn over a few pages to the 25th chapter of Matthew, a few weeks ago we were studying the 16th chapter in a scripture in which Jesus told his disciples that after he was crucified, that he would die, he would arise from the grave, and he would come in the glory of his Father, and he would bring his angels with him. And then in the next verse, he said that he was going to reward every person according to his works. And here in this 25th chapter of Matthew, he expands on that a bit, and he says something interesting about how closely that he is identified with his children. Look at verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. 
And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them the one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Do you know what I like to hear? I like to hear that members of our church go and visit the sick and the elderly and the hurting. A few weeks ago, I went to see Hazel when she was in uh, the rehab center And Hazel's caregiver was there, and and she was really good about going to see Hazel. And when I came in, and I'd been there for a few minutes, she said to me, she said, I'm so glad that you came to see Hazel. And she said, I used to be a member of the church, a church where nobody cared enough to go and visit people that were sick. Nobody cared about them. I don't want to be a church where nobody cares about others. I don't want to be a part of a church where we don't regularly visit the sick and the hurting and the helpless and those who need us. You know, I commend members of our church like Tom and Pauline for this because they will go to the hospital and they go to the nursing homes and they'll sit with people and they'll wait for them to go through an operation and they'll be there when they come out to see if everything is all right. God expects that kind of compassion from his children because Jesus said, when you do this for them, you have done it to me. We are so closely identified with Christ that when you go to the hospital to see one of God's children that's there, it's like you went to see Jesus. When you sit with one of God's children that's going through a difficult time and they're having heartache in their life and things are are hurting them, when there's a death in the family, when there's things that they need you for, when you go and you sit with them, it's like you are sitting with Jesus. That's what he says here. I'm so closely identified with my children that when you do something for them, you have done it unto me. There are several people in our church that have been hurting because of lost jobs. Times are tough. And there are members that have come to me secretly and they've handed me envelopes with money in them. And they said, give this to this family because they need it. And they didn't ask for recognition. They didn't want me to get up and say, you know, look what so-and-so did. They gave so much money to help another person in our church. That's not why they do it. They do it because that's one of God's children. And they want to bless one of God's children. And when they do that, they bless Jesus. Folks, he says, you did it to me. You bless my children. You have blessed me. I remember Frank Tharp. He was a member of our church, and Frank died a few years ago. But I remember what he did while he was alive. And he, he never wanted me to tell anybody like about this. And so I promised him that I would not tell anybody what he did. 
after he died, I thought it was all right. And so I began to just tell people about the example of Frank Tharp. That Frank was, what, in his, I guess, around 80 years old somewhere. I can't remember the exact age that he was. But, but Frank was living on a fix, fixed income. I know that he didn't have a lot of money. But regularly, he would do this. He, he would put some money in one of the pink envelopes, and he would bring it to me, and he would say, put this money into the benevolent fund because I know that somebody will need it. And I think that when Frank got to heaven, that Jesus said to him, Frank, you saw that I was hungry, and you fed me. And Frank, you saw that you were thirsty, and you gave me a drink. And Frank, you saw that I was naked, and you clothed me. Frank, you saw that I was sick, and you came and you visited me. And I know that Frank was never one of those that that thought that he did anything special. And so he would reply to Jesus, well, when did I do this? When did I feed you? And when did I give you something to drink? When did I put clothes on you? When did I come to you when you were sick? And Jesus would say, or did say, you did it to my children, and so you did it to me. What a wonderful testimony that is for a child of God. God cares for his children. He protects his children. He identifies so closely with them that everything that is done to one of them is done to him. Now, I hope that you understand what this means. I've tried to make it very clear to you. I mean, how many of you really know what this means? If you can raise your hand today and say, I get along with everybody in this church. And I just want people to know, I would raise my hand and would say, if you need me, I will be here for you because you are God's child and I know that what I do for you, I'm doing for Jesus. And if you can't raise your hand and say that I'm willing to do that, do you understand that you have refused Jesus? Do you know what that means for you getting along with every person that is in the church? Every person that is here who is a believer in Jesus Christ, they are God's child, and how you treat them is a reflection of how you treat Jesus. You can't refuse one of God's children. I mean, do you, do you think that our church would be different if everyone in the church actually believed Matthew 18.5? How many of us would be guilty of turning away from Jesus if he was standing here today? Who would be guilty of sticking Jesus in the eye with a stick? And yet that's what we do so many times to God's children because we don't help them, because we're not willing to be there for them. And Jesus says, if you don't do that, then you have done that to me. If you treat them badly, you've done that to me. Now, folks, that's the negative side. And I'm going to get to the negative side next week. I don't want to dwell too much on the negative side this week. But next week comes all of these warnings about what happens to the person who would dare harm one of God's children. And even this scripture that we've just read in Matthew 25, it has a negative side to it about those that harm God's children. But I'll save the negatives for next week. These are serious things, and I hope that you are not a church member that would dare offend a child of God. So I think this message is simple, isn't it? I think everybody gets the picture here. God cares for his children. God loves his children. God identifies with his children. God protects his children. God blesses those who benefit and bless us. Now, one more thought, and I'll let you go today. God calls us his children because we are weak like children. And he calls us 
his children because we are vulnerable and we are helpless like children. It is so easy for you to offend another Christian. Did you know that? It's very, very easy to offend another Christian. I mean, the ones that you think that are strong and you think that they can handle it, those are people that have feelings too. And though they may act so strong and act like they just brush it off and it doesn't mean anything, these are people that have feelings. And so do not assume that you can say anything to anybody, that you can say anything that you want. You can wound another Christian. And I want you to think about that between now and next week. It is a very serious offense to offend one of God's children. So you go out today and you think about this over the next week, about how you treat other people in your church, treat other people who know that they are, that you know that are believers in Jesus Christ. They're part of your church. What have you done to them? What have you said about them? Think about it very seriously because next week, We're going to come back and we're going to look at the negative side of this and see what Jesus says when you harm one of his children, what can happen to you, what is better to happen to you. God loves his children. Don't touch the apple of his eye. God cares. It is a serious offense. Use caution when you are around God's children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great love that we have in Jesus Christ, that you cared so much for us that you were willing to send your own son to die for us. Lord, if you loved us that much and you have such deep care for us, then we need to understand that really the the impact that this passage has for how we ought to treat, treat others who are your children. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. And may we show the same kind of love to others that you had for us. We were undeserving. We were unworthy. So what is it that any person has ever done to us that's greater than what we did to you? Father, help us to understand and love our brothers and sisters in Christ according to the great commandment to love you first of all, then love others as ourselves. Help us today, Lord as we contemplate serving you better in this church and loving your people as you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.